Hey everybody, it's that rare occasion where we have a mini-sode. Yay! Uh, this one is going to be the full audio from my interview with Dom on King John and Robin Hood and all that good stuff from last episode. So uh, if you like sexy British accents, you're in luck. Have fun. doing my research on this topic and um if anything i guess what my takeaway has been from not just the lost treasure part of it but that king john was kind of a controversial figure and most just think he's sort of like the scum of the earth historically speaking but a lot of that in what i have researched which granted probably doesn't really um way up to you know your intellect um but uh but uh it, it shows that you know a lot of how we've perceived him kind of comes like from the robin hood legend which didn't really show up at like you know until 200 years after and um i could not find any anything in my research that showed that there was a guy in in green tights running around causing trouble for king john back in the day there's nothing like that so can you speak to speak a little bit about that um, well, you know, I'll be wary of assigning any um, contemporary power to the legend of Robin Hood. Uh, the, the very earliest tales and ballads, they, they don't actually take form until about, um, well, over a hundred years later. Um, there is no such thing as folk literature written in the English language in the 12th and 13th century. Um, anything we do have, uh, you know, actual proper literature is, is written in French. Um, there's a very low uh, literacy rates and um, and you know uh, technically the only literate people in the medieval sense of the word were those who wrote in Latin um, so uh, this kind of develops later on but it doesn't discount the notion that the story itself was possibly you know an older uh, oral creation in a popular society that you know relies almost exclusively on the on the uh, spoken word um so i i'd be personally tempted to place its genesis at least some decades after john's death um you know i often think sub subversive legends like robin hood they often say more about their own times of civil strife um under some diversionary veil of antiquity than they do about any long dead king but on the other hand John is an extremely good, um, you know, choice of proxy for this because y y you can use him without any kind of retribution from the nobility or, or the church who are quite capable of stamping out any impudent tales if they wished, but uh, both have great reasons for spitting on his legacy. Uh, I, I mean, th th this is a guy who, who didn't just tax his lords into debt or confiscate church property during a papal interdict uh, no no uh, apparently he even had um great story the mistresses of priests held to ransom as a double blow against the church's wealth and moral authority so you know he's uh, kidnap kidnapping their women which is obviously <laughs> pretty horribly embarrassing for the churchmen 
Um, not a great kind of uh, moral stand on his point because he was probably the biggest wo womanizer in the kingdom, though. So, um, but the, the notion that Robin Hood, you know, w was even supposed to be a subject of King John and and not a later monarch is up for grabs. He he exists in his own own little um, universe anyway. Uh, the fifteenth to sixteenth century uh, story guests of Robin Hood, um, from which uh, several of the features of our modern retellings, uh, especially in movies of the legend drive, um, like for instance that archery contest that uh, Robin wins, much to you know the king and the sheriff's consternation, um, that comes from guest of Robin Hood. Uh, but that names the king as Edward, and there was no post-conquest king by that name until Edward the First. So, so that's twelve seventy-two, and and you might know Edward the First as the arch enemy of William Wallace in Braveheart, for example. Um, but to answer your second question, um, we kind of have to divide the common folk into two groups, uh, the townsfolk and the peasantry. Um, peasantry, to start with, they don't have any say in the rebellion of the barons. This, this was a conventional war in me medieval terms. Um, levies arm according to who they own personal fealty to, um, any grand notions of, of like things like national defence or, or you know, airy notes in, in some proclamation written in a language they don't understand, let alone read, um, don't really have an effect on, on them. Uh, it's not it's not unusual for medieval kings to have to maintain their power um, by some kind of force of arms. But uh, and ended the last couple of generations that had practically become a norm in England. But, um, you know, in, in some ways this is... This is still, you know, a very remarkable moment in time. The you can't say anything about the peasants with cer with certainty. Uh, you can say more about the townspeople, um, and I say we can't say anything with certainty because, aside from legal records, um, contemporary resources just don't bother themselves with the concerns of commoners. Um, townspeople, we don't hear much more about. We do hear some good. Good stories, though. For for instance, when the barons entered just before Runnymede, just before King John signs uh, Magna Carta, um, the story is that uh, a faction within the city, while everyone else is at mass, opened the gates to the barons. So there must have been some sort of support for them in there. Um, and, and it also makes its way through to the actual content of the Magna Carta, um, the investment that they have in sort of um, fighting against John's taxes and, and, and some of the issues with shipping that, you know, just things like fish weirs which appear in there. Um, but to the core of the matter, the war over, war over you know, the, the, um, that precipitates the Magna Carta and actually um, uh, happens afterwards, it, it's not... It's not really about the rights of the common man anyway. Magna Carta isn't composed um, for the common man. It's, it's you know, it refers specifically to free men. And we're talking about, what, one in ten men in England at this time? That, that's, you know, it's, it's really not, not something that... Uh, has much to do with the peasantry <laughs> so so I, I don't know whether really you would have ever seen anything quite on the level of 
uh, Robin Hood in any case. But to be honest, and this is a perfectly valid answer in history, uh, we just don't know. <laughs> so how influential was Magna Carta? And how much should we owe credit to King John for signing it? Or should the accolades really go to Stephen Langton? Well, um, you know, the, the legacy of Magna Carta is a lot more significant than the original document itself. Or, well, I mean, it's, it's several documents, but the original, several documents issued over several years. The original document signed by King John, um, you know, it's, it lasts for all of a month. We don't really owe John any credit for signing it, as he had no interest in maintaining it. He reneged on the deal uh, and asked the Pope for help as soon as he could regather his forces. The, the ink is barely dry. Uh, and then, as we know, he restarts the war and promptly died. Um, or not that the barons were much better. They they didn't exactly honor their side of the deal either. But um, but you know, we we do have to thank John for dying at such a perfect moment because those um those articles that he has no interest in honoring um they're brought back the next year in you know magna carta 1216 because um the matter it gets this war that he's just that uh, john restarts it, it gets worse the king of france and the king of scotland um get involved in this um how is the minority government of, of just a little boy, uh, Henry the Third? How are they? How could they possibly respond to this apart from reissuing, you know, the, these these liberties that had supposed to be being granted the previous years? So, so yeah, I mean, it's it it, it it then grows from there. It becomes the you know a major constitutional document. It it gets reissued for every constitutional constitutional crisis throughout the 13th century and it makes its way uh by the by the time of edward uh the first um you know reigns from 1272 to um you know to actually um you know a foundation stone of the law um so but okay so what about stephen langton uh we can grant him some things uh he was a major intermediary that made the thing possible. We need to understand that this isn't a document written by one person. Um, it's in many ways uh, a peace treaty, much like any other uh, of the time, except it, it goes some some way further to you know issues of, of law in perpetuity. Um, but it's negotiated. It's hammered out by legal scholars, compared and recompared and. You know, it's weighted here and there. What Langton puts into it is, you know, his his scholarship expertise. He's um, he he, he was before he even became Archbishop of Canterbury. He you know quite a quite a famed scholar in his own right. Um, and it's because of him that we see a lot of the references to you know uh, the liberties of the English Church and and stuff in there. But um, but yeah, yeah, uh, it's 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 quite a broad-based kind of um, document. Uh, I think, as I mentioned, as in your previous question, that even 
you know the uh, the towns get a bit of a say um, you know a little bit of influence in there you know the uh, one of the articles refers to you know the fact that uh, they don't have to build bridges um, if they weren't already sort of or repair bridges uh, if they weren't mentioned in, in you know in in the uh, founding charters really or, or through ancient tradition so there is there is a, a bit of push from all the parties in this does king john really deserve all of the crap we give him to this day or is there sort of like it i don't know is there like a more sympathetic light we can view him in like we try not to project our own um the ideas of our own time back into the past because they they just don't fit i mean it's but he was a really horrible person he was a hateful fellow and and it doesn't help that he had a famous you know uh crusading brother who well we can argue quite a lot about whether rich was a good king or not but um but of the time was considered you know the major chivalrous example um so king john was you know he was treacherous he betrayed his his brother um and you know it was only because richard forgave him you know that he he managed to sort of uh keep keep on going to his own reign um he um yeah he, he was a he was a famed womanizer he would uh he could you know he offended the the honor of quite a few uh noble families and you might run off with your um you know your your wife your daughter oh because um, he was the king he could literally just show up and be like i'm gonna bang your wife and he'd be, <laughs> like he could do that right I, I don't think he was legally entitled to but no he was yeah i mean it, it does underline the arbitrariness of of, of some elements of his rule um yeah and and of course you know he, he's raising all this all this money for foreign campaigns which he then cowardly runs away from he um he he goes beyond i mean the Med- middle ages has an incredible reputation for cruelty but between you know for several cent you know for several centuries no earls of england and, and this is remarkable no earls of england were actually sort of um killed uh you know um through 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 the law courts uh, but john being john he he killed he uh he locked i think like 20 knights up in a castle and starved them to death i mean we're, we're talking about sort of major crimes against uh against chivalry here so i mean there have been attempts to rehabilitate him in some ways but i think you'll find that any scholarly kind of most scholarly uh, examinations of this the consensus broadly is is he's probably one of the worst kings ever to sit on the throne of england and i have to agree <laughs> wow um okay then yeah i guess that's that's really that's really it for um this interview thank you thank you so much um this has been great um yeah ser- seriously thank you no problem nice to be here <laughs>